Well, guys, I am Joshua Woolley. I am 36 years old. And uh, my parents came to this church even before I was born. And so it is it's really funny because uh, last night I was over at Pastor Ken and Holly's house. And uh, I was joking about how when Pastor Ken was the kid's pastor over there in the other building, I remember that I was constantly sent to the back. You know, that was what you, you had to do when you were the, the kid that was messing around or that type of thing. They would send you to the back row. And I remember uh, Pastor Holly came up to me and ever so sweetly did she say to me, Josh, you go to the back every week, but you sit on the front row. You're, she was so sweet. She said, you know, sometimes you're a distraction to other people. So how about you maybe sit closer to the back at the beginning of the service? <laughs> and it was so funny to me because look at me now. I'm sitting on the front row. No one had to call my parents. The Lord is good. So guys, have faith in your kids. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. But uh, man, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, it's, it's exciting for me because I was here uh, when this building was being built, and I remember walking through it during the construction process and just uh, imagining what this place would be, but having no idea what it would mean to me down the road. It was right over there in that second row where um, a woman named Bonnie Erickson, she told me at the age of eight years old that God had a plan for my life. And she believed that I was going to be a missionary. And I didn't know the weight of what that would mean at that time, but God has moved in my life in a mighty way. And it's because of the legacy of this church, it's because of the legacy of pastors like Ken and Holly and others that, that came before them, that I'm here, that God has called us. Uh, so you can put the picture of, of our family up there. So that's my wife and those are our kids. And if you go to the next one, that is my daughter. So that is Betty. Betty is four years old. And today or yesterday, we had a very exciting moment. This was the first time that a kite was flown as a family and no one cried. So it was a really good time. <laughs> the next picture is my son. And as his name is Emmanuel. And as we've been here in Virginia, he's learned three words. The first First one is cookie, and the second is more please. And uh, with that smile, my mom is stuffing him full of them. But uh, we're really excited to be here. So uh, I'm going to play a video, and uh, or they're going to play a video. But you can go ahead and start. But this is footage uh, that I've taken as we've ministered in Ecuador. All over the world, God is moving. He's reaching out to draw his lost sons and daughters to him. As we, as believers, have experienced his love and goodness, what is our response? What is our responsibility? How is God calling us to move on his behalf? He's calling us to go. He's calling us to pray. He's calling us to send help. Do you hear him calling? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. But how can people call on him if they've not yet believed? How can they believe in one whom they've not yet heard? How can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? So it was, it was three years ago that we, we began embarking on this calling of, of missions. 
And so we first started in the, the Amazon rainforest of Ecuador and then transitioning up into the Andes Mountains where we are planning churches and helping train and equip pastors there. And so uh, some of you were here three years ago when, when we talked about what we were going to do. And uh, today we'll I'll share some of the things that did not work out, but we're really excited for the future. And so uh, whether you know me or not, the truth is that I want to be known. And I want to be known for two things. And the first thing is being a man of prayer. The second thing is being a man of expectation that God will move. So Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you're moving here in Gloucester County. God, there's nothing that is outside of your view in the midst of this situation. God, we ask that we would hear you as you speak to us. God, that as your Holy Spirit whispers, God, we would be sensitive to it. Lord, I thank you that you're calling. I thank you that you're here. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. So as I said, uh, I'm so thrilled to be here today. And I'm excited because I believe that God is calling this church. You know, I was just a young guy in this church when God began to speak into my life. But God called me here. And I believe that he's calling you as well. Uh, there was a man, his name was John Wesley. And he was the, the, the founder of the Methodist church. And he said this, you have one business on earth and that is to save souls, to save souls. And so that seems like, oh man, that's, that seems very heavy, right? When we think about it, but the truth is it is simplistic. If that's all we focus on, that is what God is calling us to. So God, he is calling people all over the world and he's calling people here in Gloucester County. He's calling you even as you sit in this service today. You are called by God. That is my first point today is you are called by God. I'm gonna read to you, this is Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 47. It says this, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It says there that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You are called, can you say that? You are called. I didn't hear it, but all that say is you specifically, not me. You are called by God. And so what, what that verse says is to the ends of the earth. Well, what does that mean? What is your ends of the earth? That is the question that I want you to ask yourself today. So for me, my ends of the earth is Ecuador. That is what God has called me to. But for you, where is God calling you to specifically? Um, I think about how I've attended a lot of weddings. And if you've ever attended a wedding, maybe the pastor that, that spoke there, he talked about the symbolism of the wedding ring and that the ring is, is a circle, right? Maybe you've heard that because it's a symbol of covenant. It's a symbol, uh, it's a circle because it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. And so I think about that parallel of what does the ends of the earth mean? You know, we, most of us, we believe that the earth is round, right? Right? Okay, I know, I, it's been weird on Facebook. There were things in the past that they talked about, maybe it's, it's not. The, the earth is round, and so it's, it is true. But the odd thing or the, the unique thing about that is that technically there's not really a beginning. Technically there's not really an end. So this is a relative term. So what? is your end of the earth. What is God calling you to? 
Uh, I said this in the first service, but I believe it's true, that some people, their end of the earth, they're called to Gloucester County. But I believe for this church, I believe that it's simply just your beginning. Do you hear me? I believe that this is your beginning. And so uh, today I wanna talk about how God is calling us and God's call is life-changing. I wanna read to you, this is Acts chapter nine, verse one. It says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So I read that verse because this is Saul. This is Saul from the New Testament. And Saul later became Paul, right? You know, he, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He wrote letters where he was pastoring and teaching churches. But in this verse that I just read, it says that he was breathing th- threats of murder against the disciples. You see that there was a clear transition. There was something that happened in his heart. Prior to this, he hated the disciples. He hated Jesus, but he had an encounter with the real Jesus and it was life-changing. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus and he, he was struck off his horse and he became blind. And when these scales fell from his eyes, he received a new calling in his life. He received a new purpose. This title that he had before of being a murderer, of being someone that would destroy the kingdom of God, he was then given a new title. This encounter with Christ was life-changing. So uh, today, as I am a missionary and I've been living in Ecuador, uh, I want to preach to you the word, but I also want to tell you about some of my experience there. I think it would be an injustice for me to not tell you about the people and uh, some of the things that I've learned in Ecuador. And so today, uh, Carrie and I, we're going to tell you about three people that have meant a lot to us in Ecuador. And these are three people that are close to our hearts. And as we uh, have been involved in doing ministry in the country of Ecuador, they become even closer to our hearts. And the first one I want to tell you about is a young man named Pedro. Pedro is from Venezuela. And as I've met him in Ecuador, he was a Venezuelan refugee. And so as Pedro was uh, younger than age two, he was about one and a half. He was actually involved in an accident where he received a heavy blow to the side of his head. And it was so heavy, in fact, that he lost the ability to see out of his right eye at the age of, of one and a half. And so as, as I met Pedro and I talked to him about this, the thing that he told me was he, was he communicated how difficult it was as a child, being blind in this one eye. And it was not just the difficulty of him not being able to see, which that was a part of it because as he was in school, he struggled, he had a hard time reading, being able to comprehend and even j- just because of that. But the thing that he said that, that was really what made it difficult is that he felt like there was no hope. He felt like there was no hope for him. His family was a family that was poor. They were in poverty. And he felt hopeless and he felt worthless. But when Pedro was in high school in Venezuela, there was one day that uh, another student approached him and invited him to what was a youth group there in Venezuela. And so he decided that he would go that night. And as he was in this, this service where they were singing, he said that he heard the voice of God for the very first time. And this is what God said to him, Pedro, I'm going to give you the ability to see. And so this was the first time that he heard God. And he said, this was so impactful that when they they said, does anyone want to accept Christ? He raised his hand. He, He almost jumped, he said. And so at that night, that was when he had an encounter with God, where he heard the voice of God for the first time. And that was where the trajectory of his life began to change. 
And so as that night, after he accepted Christ, he realized that he began to see faint shadows in his right eye. He was starting to see light come into this eye. And this was the eye that could not see previously. And so the thing that was significant about that night is because he was receiving a new vision. He received that night, not just salvation and eternal life. He said he received hope. And so uh, this is a story not of healing, but instead it's a story of calling. Because as I met Pedro, he was actually in his late 20s. Again, he was a, a refugee in Ecuador. And at that point, Pedro had fully received his healing from the Lord that he could completely see out of his right eye. And so the thing that, that, that he said to me is, you know, it was at that point that I began to sense that God had purpose for me. I was given a new vision. It, it started a life change. And for him, he said, you know, I feel like I'm called maybe to ministry of some kind. And uh, at, at a later date, him and I were spending time together. And he told me about this situation where he was walking down the road. And God again said to him, Pedro, I'm going to give you the ability to see. And he said, I didn't understand that in that moment. I didn't understand what, what God was saying. But as he continued to walk down the road, he encountered some young men that were his age that were struggling with substance. In fact, uh, two of them were, were laying unconscious on the side of the road. And he said, I just began to cry. Because again, now God had given me the ability to see. He then recognized that there was, there was young men and women his age that God was calling him to. And now Pedro is working uh, in the country of Ecuador, working with university students and sharing the gospel there. And so he had a moment like Paul, where God, the, 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 him meeting Jesus, changed the trajectory of his life, where he began to have a new vision of what was before him. And so God is calling you, you are called. But uh, th this isn't a point, but this is just a tangent, is that it doesn't matter about your status or your title. He's just a Venezuelan refugee. You know, he's not looked up to by anybody there, but he is doing great things for the Lord. Think about Paul and who he was. He was known for being a murderer. But your status and your title does not affect what God is calling you to. It doesn't matter who you've been. God is working in the midst of that. So God is calling you and you are unable to do it on your own. That's my second point. You're unable to do it on your own. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. It says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love that verse because in our weakness, God has created us with strength. See, here's the thing is you were created with purpose. Now you guys have heard that before. I, I know you've been in church, so you've probably heard that you have a purpose. There've been books written about it. But the thing is that you were created intentionally with intentionality. You were created intentionally with intentionality. And so for me, I grew up in this church. I grew up in Gloucester. I think about the struggles that I had saying, Lord, who am I? What does God have for me? And for you, maybe you, you've sensed the same thing. And for me, here, here's what I felt. I was this, this homeschool weird kid, and, and Ken can tell you all about me. I was, I was just odd, but I had to embrace 
the weird that was in me. <laughs> and so some of you say, well, you know, I, I don't fit in. I, I, I'm different, that type of thing. God is calling you to be different. How are you going to, if you're just gonna be the norm, you just wanna blend in with everyone else, right? God has called you to stand out, to be different amongst a world that is indifferent. So moving on. <laughs> in our inadequacy, God receives glory. In our inadequacy, God receives glory. Uh, there was a woman that her name was Gladys Alward, and she was actually a, a missionary. And so as this young woman, as she grew up, she struggled because all of the, her friends, those young ladies all had blonde curly hair, but hers was black and straight. And as all of her friends grew taller, she stayed short. In fact, uh, her height was only four foot 10, but God called her to be a missionary. And as she preached on the wharfs of Shanghai, China, she realized that people recognized her as one of their own, that she looked like the culture of the people that she was immersed in and that how she was created was again with intentionality, that God created her, had created her intentionally with intentionality. And so in your weakness, that is where God can move. Uh, in the Old Testament, you, you've heard of this man, his name was Moses. And Moses is one of my absolute favorite characters in the Bible because I think many of us, we can relate to him. There was times in Moses' in his life where he felt inadequate. And so uh, if you read Exodus chapter four, in verse one, there's a dialogue that is happening between Moses and God. And what Moses is saying is, God, what if they don't believe that you called me? What if they don't believe that you have a plan for me? And so there's this dialogue that happens between, Moses, between God and Moses. And in verse two, this is what the Lord says. Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And so Moses at this time, when he's at this burning bush, he is 80 years old. He spent 50 years in exile after he, he killed this Egyptian. And so he's been out in the desert, basically, just being a shepherd. And so God says to him, what is in your hand? And what he's holding in his hand is a staff. And the staff isn't because he's feeble and he's 80 years old, but this is the tool that he's come to rely on because this is what he uses to protect the sheep from wild animals. This is what he would use to, to chase off bandits that would try and steal from the flock. And so this, where he was lacking in his, in his strength or in his ability, this tool was there to make up the difference. And so God said, what is in your hand? And a staff, he replied. The Lord said to him, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. It goes on to say, and he ran from it. So I will say this, think about Moses. Again, he'd been living in the desert. I think that he had seen snakes before, right? But this snake apparently was so big that he was afraid from it, he ran from it. And so I'll say this is when God gives us something, when he puts something in our hand, whether it be a tool or a gifting, it is often far more than what we even know it to be. And so for him, he was even afraid of it. But in verse four, it says this, then the Lord said to him, reach, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. 
This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of the God of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to you. I love that story and I'll come back to it in a minute. So I, I mentioned, you know, that I grew up here. In fact, my first missions trip was uh, with the youth group that meets over there in the building. So at 15 years old, I went with the youth pastor to Ecuador. And that was my first missions trip where we worked in Quito. And as I was there, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, Joshua, I have more for you here. And so uh, I went back home and that was something that, you know, I, I had my pictures, I developed them and they were something that I hung on to. In the same way that I held those pictures, I, I held on to that, that statement that I received from the Holy Spirit, that God had more for me. I, I later moved to Illinois where I was a start. I attended a, a Bible school program where I started receiving uh, pastoral training. And so I oversaw their, their missions trips for that church. And an opportunity came for me to take a team to Ecuador. And I said, that is where I want to go. And so uh, this, this trip that I took, we landed in the same place in Quito. And from there, we drove 23 hours on a bus. From there, uh, we spent the night in a town called Sakua and then drove another eight hours the next day to a, a little port by the Upano River. And we went upriver for six hours. And I, I've never had to go to the bathroom so bad in my whole life. <laughs> but then we hiked into the jungle and it was a two mile hike to this village called Libertad. And so that name, Libertad, it, it means freedom in Spanish. And the village was actually named Freedom by a pastor that went there. That uh, he, this was a word of faith that he spoke because the village had not received spiritual freedom. But he believed that this village was called to receive spiritual freedom and was to train and equip other people coming through it. And so uh, we went to this village called Libertad. And there uh, we, we began to do ministry. I brought a team to do construction and we were gonna do children's ministry. And uh, we had brought a doctor to, to treat people for parasites. And as we were meeting people there in this community, I met uh, a family and the father introduced his children to us. And he introduced the oldest by name, but the younger ones, he said, you know, this is the little boy and this is the little girl. And they were unnamed because children were so frequently dying in this community. And the thing was that it was because of parasites that kids were dying prematurely. So while we were excited because we were there to help treat people for parasites, it was disheartening because they were still drinking water from this river and would get them again. So the missionary that we had partnered with, his name was Ricky, and he said, Josh, you know, if we can do something like if we dig a well, we can provide clean water for, for these people here. So along with the other projects, we, we started to dig a well by hand. And uh, digging a well by hand is simple. What you do is you dig a hole. And then you dig more. <laughs> and so uh, it's pretty simple. But for four days, we dug until we had a well that was 17 feet deep. And so that was the second to last day that we were there in the jungle. And so the last day, it was exciting because I got to see people come and get water for the first time in this village. And so for me, as I was working on other projects, I was looking over my shoulder. And so it wasn't uh, out of pride, but instead it was out of excitement because it was this new generation of children that, that would now have the opportunity to survive. So it was really exciting. But as I was watching uh, these, these young people uh, come and get water, I, I saw this young lady 
and she came and got water. And um, as I was looking at her, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I made eye contact with her as, as she was away getting water. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks, that requires a response. And for me, I didn't know what it was at that time. So I just, I said a very simple prayer and I remember it. It was, Lord, be a heavenly father to her. Protect her from harm. Lord, give her a new opportunity in life. Because at that time, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't speak Spanish. She was 14 years old. Uh, I was 26 years old, and a girl that age would typically marry a man my age in the jungle. And so, again, my, my response was simply just to pray. Uh, I, I saw her leave and go back into the jungle. And the next morning, we left. We packed up. We got back in the canoe and headed back home. And so I didn't know the power of this, this little prayer. But two years later, I said, okay, am I called to missions? Is this what God is calling me to do? So I, I moved back to Sakua, that first leg of the 23-hour trip, to work with that same missionary named Ricky. And uh, in that community, there was a house called Casa Esperanza, which was a home that was created by the missionaries for young women that have gone through exploitation, for those that had gone through, uh, you know, physical assault or even trafficking. And so as I was working in this home with Ricky, I was actually installing a circuit for a washer and dryer so that way they could have, you know, be able to do that without doing it manually. And um, as I was working, twisting wires together, I realized I recognized the face of one of the girls that was there in the home. And I said to Ricky, I said, is this the girl from the jungle? He said, yeah, that's where we dug the well. And he went on to tell me the story of the young lady named Mardida and how her, her father had passed away two years ago when we were in the village and her mother married this other man for security. And this other man was physically abusing her and even selling her to other men in the village. And so this prayer that I prayed saying, Lord, will you be a heavenly father to her? Will you protect her from harm? Will you give her a new opportunity in life? It made so much more sense because now she'd met a heavenly father. She was in a place of protection and she was given new opportunity where she was being educated, where God was moving in her life. And so my, my second point again is you're unable to do it on your own. And so for me, there was nothing that I could do, but God moved in the midst of that situation for her. The third thing, the third point is you are equipped for his ministry. So uh, I, I shared this when I was here three years ago, just in summary, but uh, I grew up here in Gloucester and I, I had quite a few jobs as I grew up here, but one of the jobs I had was working for a local construction company. And uh, they moved me to be uh, on their electrical team. And so the guys that I worked with, um, they were pretty awful. They were awful human beings. And so uh, <laughs> these guys that I worked with, uh, we would do renovations or electrical installations in, in old homes. So since I was the new guy, I would be the guy under the house. They would drill the holes in the floor to, to put wires through. And I'd be underneath the house pulling wire and stapling it up. But these, these great guys that I work with, they would drill additional holes in the floor that they would use to pour things on me, like tobacco juice or things much worse. And uh, I won't get into what's much worse, but all that to say is I was underneath the house and I would say, Lord, why am I here? God, I'm trying to serve you. Can, can you help me out? And just feeling 
like, like I did not have purpose. And it was funny because as I was twisting up a circuit in a home for young women that had gone through exploitation, I was able to look back where I had learned to do electrical. I was able to look back on where I became an electrician. And so in the midst of my difficulty, God was training and equipping me to do something great for him. My, uh, my dad was here first service, <laughs> but he was the, the one that I worked for for my very first job. And my dad, he got this, this, this idea that he wanted to have an apple orchard. And so uh, they had got a piece of property and my dad wanted to plant all these apple trees. And up until recently, they had over 800 species of apple trees. And so my dad, when we planted this orchard, you know, he could have rented an auger. He could have bought some piece of equipment or something like that. But instead, he bought me a shovel. <laughs> and it, I mean, to his... It was a fiberglass shovel. It was pretty nice. But all that to say is he would put a, a stake in the ground. He'd say, all right, dig a hole here, dig a hole here, dig a hole there. And by the time it was done, the orchard was planted. I was really good at digging, guys. <laughs> and so when the time came in the jungle and a well needed to be dug by hand, I was good at digging. God had equipped me for the task in the midst of something that was difficult. The same well where I saw a young woman named Ardida. Uh, I, I will, I'll talk about her just for a second because, you know, as I was there in 2011, she was just a young lady that was recovering from the hardship that she had gone through. But as Carrie and I, as we again returned and worked in Casa Esperanza, she was now training and equipping young women that had gone through the same thing. The thing in her past that had caused her weakness she was now using as a tool to help others. The thing in her past that caused her weakness, she was now a tool in her hand. I wanna go back to that idea of Moses. God said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he said. Think about the weight of that staff because it was that staff that when it struck the dust in the nation of Egypt, remember that a, a plague of gnats came out of that. That was a demonstration of God's power that when that staff was raised, when Moses' arms were held up, the Israelites defeated their enemies. When that staff struck a rock, it provided water that gave the whole nation of Israel water to drink when they were thirsty. And when they came to what they believed was the end of the line, when it was raised over the waters of the Red Sea, the water separated and they were able to escape their captors. God has equipped you. Again, point number one is you are called by God. Point number two is you can't do it on your own. And number three is he has equipped you for his ministry. For us, uh, if, if you look at our prayer card and pick one up on your way out today, it says on our prayer card, building churches for the unreached and overlooked. And uh, God has called not only us, but you to the unreached and overlooked. Many of you are aware of people that are overlooked even in your family, overlooked even in your neighborhood, and God is calling you to minister to them. Carrie, come on up here. I'm gonna read this verse. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they not heard? 
how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Guys, we're all called to preach. It doesn't mean with a microphone. We're called to preach how we live. We're called to preach in relationship. That's how we can be the most effective missionaries right where we're at. God is calling you. He created you with a purpose. And you're equipped for his ministry. I'm so thankful that I get to be here with you all this morning. Um, and I get to share with you truly what is like my most treasured story from the field. Um, sidebar, I grew up in a church, very, I grew up in Minnesota, so not wonderful Virginia, but wonderful Minnesota, um, in a church very similar to this. And I just would treasure, we were, again, it was so similar to this where we had missionaries coming in all the time and they just threw out gold. I felt like, like I loved hearing their stories from the field and it just built my faith. And so I hope that my story today will get to be gold for you. And so, um, you know, we had a really crazy first term. Um, and uh, I love what Josh talks about with like God putting things in our hands. Um, but for me, sometimes I look down at my hands and there's nothing in my hands at all. And so what I really found throughout my first term was, God, when I only have a willingness to be obedient to you, can you still do a miracle? And I don't know what your year has been. I'm going to challenge some of you today. I don't know what you're looking at in your hands. But can I tell you, if you leave them open with faithfulness, God can do a miracle. God can work a miracle. So as I said, we had a crazy first term where, you know, as all missionaries do, we started out in Costa Rica for language training. And it was while we were there that we actually miscarried our second child. So in between our daughter and our son, we had a miscarriage. And I remember it was in that the early days, even just right on the field, that the enemy started speaking really loudly to me. Um, and it's something that he would say all throughout our first term. And so in the moment of that miscarriage, um, I heard the enemy say almost, it felt audibly because it was so loud, Carrie, you did not sign up for this. You guys need to pack up and go home. And that's something I would hear over and over and over again. And so, um, you know, we walked through the miscarriage by the grace of God, um, not long after we got pregnant again with our son, and then we ended up moving to Ecuador. And so we get to Ecuador at that point, I'm several months pregnant, and all my stories, I feel like I'm several months pregnant. And so we get to Ecuador, and our housing falls through, and... Um, where we find ourselves open to living is a hotel. And it's called Hotel Esperanza. Or no, sorry. It's called Hotel Romanza, which means romance. And there was no romance in this jungle hotel because it is as luxurious as a jungle hotel sounds with your two-year-old with no AC being pregnant. So, you know, we're in this hotel for about two months. And we were just like, Lord, please, we just want to be settled we would like a kitchen. Please just open up doors for housing. Um, so we ended up finding a house a couple months later, and it was actually our second night in the house. You know, we literally only had like a fridge, a stove, and a bed at that point. We hadn't bought anything else for the house. Um, Josh was hooking up the oven as a gas oven and was sold an incorrect part. And long story short, an explosion happened in our house, and Josh was left with second and third degree burns. And so Josh then finds himself in a jungle hospital, which as he says, is not as luxurious as the jungle hotel. Um, but he finds himself there for another week and a half. And I said this first service, but it's so true. Like, 
I really hated having to trust Jesus during that time. Like sometimes, you know, trusting Jesus, it sounds fun in songs, but when you're like walking line, it is not fun. It's just not fun. Um, so, you know, he's there for over a week and a half with lots of moments for us to trust the Lord. And then it was about a month recovery even after that for him to be able to walk again and just to regain his strength. And the whole time, the enemy was so loud, even for both of us, saying, you guys, no one would blame you. Just go home. So, you know, right after this, it was like literally like within our first 100 days of Ecuador. It's like a couple weeks after this whole Josh recovering back home thing happened. We wake up in the morning to find out that we had been robbed throughout the night. And as we sat on the bed crying, we were like, you know what, Lord, I, are you calling us to the States? Are you calling us to Walmart? We will gladly move back to the state. We'll go to Iowa. We'll go anywhere, Lord. You can call us back. I had called my mom and I'm like, mom, I know God listens to you way more than he listens to me. So can you pray us back to the States? Can God honorably discharge us back to the States? Because this is too hard. This is too hard. And you know what's so interesting throughout that whole season is God was so silent. The enemy was so loud, and the voice of God was really quiet. And even in the midst of the quiet, though, we knew that God had never stopped calling. And so we continue to go on our way, and by this point in time, um, we're about to have our son, and so um, we're actually in the back of a taxi cab in the city where we're, we're going to give birth to our son, and we're zooming around the city, and I look out my window, and I see three Muslim men standing on the street, which I had never seen Muslims in Ecuador. I had no idea that there were Muslims in Ecuador, and I looked above them and saw this little sign for a mosque, and I said to the Lord, just so quietly in my heart, like, God, if you give us an open door with this people group, we will take it. And so I say sometimes that is the prayer offered or answered in grace, not offered in faith, because I truthfully forgot I prayed it. I don't know if you have prayers like that. And so, um, you know, we pray this prayer, and then we keep going on. We have our son. You know, we're doing ministry in the city. And it was months later that God opened up the door. We were in a hospital waiting room, and a Muslim couple walked in. And God said, there's your door. Take it. And so God started merging our hearts with this Muslim couple. And I always love to say this is if we would have wrote on a list of like the shared experiences we had with this couple, we would have had nothing. But God, because of the Holy Spirit, knit our hearts together to be able to share Jesus with them. And so I want to wrap up my time by saying this is, um, you know, we were hanging out with this couple, typically with our family and them, you know, we'd have them over to our house. But uh, my most treasured time that I had when I got to be on the field was when I got to invite my friend Miriam over for the first time, um, just one-on-one. -on -one. And so she came over, it was during nap time, so we actually got to talk, you know, and so she came over and she took off her hijab, her head wrap. And I felt the Holy Spirit just prompt me to ask her about it. You know, and so we're talking about all things culture and what American culture is like. Clearly, American culture is very different than Middle Eastern culture, which is different than Ecuadorian culture. So we're talking through all these things. And I asked her, I said, so what is it like for a woman when she starts covering her head? I'm like, is it a happy day? Like, what kind of emotions go with that? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, oh, no. She said, it's actually a really sad day. 
She's like, we have a saying in Arabic that when a woman starts covering her head, God starts counting the number of hairs on her head that another man sees, another man who isn't her husband, that another man sees as sin. And so she's like, it's just a really sad day because you have to start really making sure your hair is covered. And two things in that moment became so clear to me is when Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He was talking to women like Miriam who carried this burden on their head that God's counting their, head, their hairs on their heads out of a way to separate himself from them. And then the other thing that became so clear was in that moment that God broke his silence to me. And God said to me, Carrie, aren't you so glad you didn't go home? Aren't you glad you didn't go home? Because it was in that moment I got to share with my Muslim friend Miriam about how I serve a God that has my hairs numbered and counts them out of affection for me, out as a way to draw me to himself. And so, again, I don't know where you are here today. Am I allowed to preach for a second? <sighs> for 30 seconds? I don't know where you are today. And some of you, I think you want to pack up emotionally or spiritually and go back somewhere else. But you may not be called to where you're trying to go back to. You're not necessarily called to run. I mean, I, I want to, here's my personal plug. Please take our prayer card, because I'd like to think that we stayed in Ecuador because we were so spiritual, but I know that's not true, and you could ask our four-year-old. And so I only know that we really stayed, our feet stayed in the field of Ecuador, and our feet are willing to go back to Ecuador because there were, there were saints back in the United States praying for us. That's what held our feet in the field. And so for you, I don't know what your field is that you need to hold your feet in. But can I tell you, there might be Miriams in your life that if you pack up and go home, they may not ever get to know the affection that Jesus has for them. Okay, I'll be done. You're great. You're great. <clears throat> I'll close with this. Dallas Willard, he said, the obvious well-kept secret of the ordinary that it's made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. So God is looking for everyday people to carry out his will. What is he asking you for? What is your ends of the earth? What holes are you digging in preparation? Maybe you sense the weight of being under the house and feeling like stuff is getting poured on you. <laughs> what are you doing in preparation? Uh, I'll close with this idea, and Ken, you, you can come on up. But uh, we shared about three people, Pedro, Mardida, and um, uh, Miriam. Pedro being a, a symbol of calling. And I think that there are people in this room, you know, as we are ministering, now we are in the United States, and our calling is equally here. And I believe that there are people that God is calling to live missionally. I believe there are people in this room that God is calling to overseas missions. And so... If the Lord is speaking something to you, lean into that. We want to pray for you too. So if you come over by the booth, yeah, say, just tell us. We want to pray for you. For Mardida, you know, she was a symbol almost of, of captivity. And while some of you may not be in physical captivity or you may know people that are in spiritual captivity, we want to pray for people on their behalf. For, for people that you know that are far from God, that don't have a relationship, that do not understand the weight of the God that we serve and the love and adoration he has for them.
We want to pray for your family. We want to pray for your friends. So um, that's my question. What is in your hand? What has God been working on? What has he trained and equipped you with to further his kingdom?